0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Father, we come before you uh, a needy people, Lord. And uh, it's impossible to know all the needs in this room, and it's even more impossible to meet all the needs in this room as a human being, Lord. But you are with us. You are here to speak to us. You are here to calm the hearts of the fearful. You are here to strengthen the weary. You are here, Lord, to speak to your children, to comfort your children, to empower your children, to embolden your children. Father, we pray that we would have fresh strength as we leave here from this place, knowing that we have met with the living God. Lord, give us that sense that we have heard from you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, so we're in this uh, mixtape series, and it's a series in the Psalms where we're taking a bunch of kind of our favorite songs from the Psalms, mixing them all together, and doing it through the whole summer. And uh, last week you we did Psalm 119, which is kind of a, a meditative psalm about God's Word. This week, though, is a psalm, a song of fear. And I was just thinking, if you made a mixtape and gave it to a friend, how many songs would be on it There would be songs about fear? Not a real popular uh, type thing to think about. Well, King David wrote this this song, this psalm, about a thousand years BC, and he wrote it about a time that was terrifying in his life, very terrifying time. You can see in the beginning of the psalm here in verse one, he says, "Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from the plea uh, for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I'm restless and I complain and I moan because of the noise of the enemy." Because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. Uh, David's troubles are closing in on him, and what we're seeing here is we're seeing him spinning in fear and begging God for help. And uh, you might ask yourself, well, why is David so afraid? What's going on here? And we can determine from this psalm that David is hearing and seeing evidence of a revolution against him. Um, he's he's seeing and hearing evidence of a mounting opposition that wants to overthrow him as king. And, um, and remember, this is 3,000 years ago. So when you're overthrown as the ruler, um, you don't get a government retirement plan, a free health care for life. There's no, like, peaceful transition of power. When you're ousted, you die. You die brutally. Um, you die disgracefully. Um, probably your family dies too, okay? And so this coup that he's seeing, this threat against him, is a, a threat against his reign, against his life, and the lives of his family. And so here we see David... And he's just seeing all kinds of evidences of doom. Take a look at 9, uh, the second half of verse 9. He says, I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on the walls. Iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from the marketplace. You guys, the walls of the city, which normally like, stood for security, you think of it like the walls of Jerusalem, and you'd feel comfort in it. It's your own home, and it's safe. Those walls now were actually a sign of doom to him as he sees rebels and terrorists along the wall. People that want to take him out. And so he sees this whole city takes on kind of this dark appearance. You can see he mentions the walls, he mentions within in the marketplace. Everywhere he sees signs of doom. This whole city is, is seems to be turning against him overnight. He's wondering how long until the crowds will cry out for his death, right? And to add to this panic, there's the pain that he's been. It's been instigated by someone he thought was his friend. Take a look at verse uh, 12. He says, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, or I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, or I could, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. You can see that he was betrayed by a close friend. Not just by a close friend. He was betrayed by somebody he thought was a brother in the Lord, Right? And he's betrayed him. If you look at verse 20, he talks about this person again. He says, My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war with it was within his heart. His words were as soft as oil, and yet they were drawn swords. He's thinking, This guy that I thought was my friend has been out to kill me all along. He's a traitor, somebody I trusted. And now he doesn't know who he can trust, right? Like if his closest friend turned on him, who else is in on the conspiracy, right? It's making him suspicious. He has murmurs and reports and suspicions, and he doesn't know who to trust. Um, Guys, when your enemy's clear, you send out troops and you squash them. That's what David's used to doing, right? But when, when you don't know who your enemy is, what do you do? You just wait. You wait for disaster to strike you. And that's what's happening with David. He's holed up in his palace, frozen in fear. Does he run, you know, or is he safer staying here? Who knows? His fears are closing in on him, his mind spinning, his heart's racing. Can you relate? Can you relate to this? I mean, have you ever felt all your fears close in on you at once? Whether those fears were real or imagined. Because guys, many of us have minds that are perfectly capable of manufacturing this kind of terror, this kind of dread, when there's very little threat that exists against us, aren't we? You're not an ancient king betrayed and facing death, but I bet you know what it's like to feel like a city under siege. Do you know what David's feeling like here? Have you felt it? Have you felt the restlessness and the moaning? In verse 2, he says, I'm restless in my complaint and I moan. You know, you can't sleep. You toss and you turn at night. Have you felt the burdens piling on you? Like verse 3, he says, they drop trouble upon me. The images of like his enemies are dropped one rock on him. And then another rock on him, and then another rock. The burdens mount and mount, more and more fear upon him. I'll tell you guys, most mornings I wake up tempted to fear. And it's weird, you'll have a fear, and then your mind will look for reasons for it. (laughs) I'm afraid, I wonder why. And then you go through a list, right? And you can easily find a list. Those aren't the real reasons, you're you're already afraid. And um, I feel like when I wake up in the morning, my fears are all lined up next to the bed, and they're like... He's awake. Get him. You know, like they're just waiting for me to wake up and they want to just all jump on me. It's like those rocks he's talking about piling on him. Have you felt the pounding heart and the terror in verse 4? My heart is within, in anguish within me and terrors of death have come upon me. Have you felt that? Have you felt that pounding heart? Have you felt that tightening chest? Have you felt that shortness of breath? You know, because after your mind's been spinning long enough, right, and you're circling the drain of anxiety, eventually your body wants to get on on too, right? And you have that burst of adrenaline, and you have the, I, I remember the first time, um, you know, the first panic attack I had was in, it was in uh, Lake Tahoe, and we were up there for a vet conference, it was probably like 15 years ago or so, and um, I thought I was having a heart attack, because you have that like tightening the chest, and you know, a little difficulty breathing, and there's a pressure on your chest, right? And I'm like, I'm having a heart attack, and then my next thought was like, let's not tell Tosh let me not tell my wife you know because I'm like she's having a nice time you know I don't want to ruin it by a trip to the ER right Uh, but the real reason was guys is I'm definitely afraid of hospitals so you've got this like this fear of the heart attack worried with the hospital thing and so there I am just kind of sitting through it going like I'm probably gonna die but she's having a nice time she probably wasn't having a nice time um Speaking of fear and trembling, guys, I do think there's times when it's appropriate for Christians to use medication for anxiety attacks. I think that's important for you to know. Um, I won't tell you when those appropriate times are because I'm not that kind of doctor, right? I'm a horse vet. I'm not, like, that kind of doctor. But years ago, we had a friend. We still have a really close friend that was having some anxiety attacks, and Tosh and I went to go visit her. And she always seemed to have them right after she would, uh, she'd have a child, and then when she went to wean the child, for whatever reason, panic would start happening, and anxiety, and all these things. And this is a woman that was reading the Bible, and she's praying, and she's doing all those things, right? But this anxiety, it was something chemical, right? It had to do with her weaning her children. And so we went over there, and I was kind of, at that time, I was like, well, you know, Christians should never need medications, and blah, blah, blah. And I see her in a fetal position, trembling on on the floor. I wouldn't leave an animal like that. I certainly wouldn't leave a precious human being like that. So there are times that it is needed. Um, have you ever felt the need to escape? Look at verse 6. He says, I will say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. You ever have that, that feeling? You know, that, that anxiety, it's fight or flight. You don't really know what to fight. There's not really like a clear enemy to fight against. And so it's run, Right. And that's the situation for David here. Have you ever been able to see impending doom everywhere? And this one relates to me. Verse 10, he talks about the city and he's like, day and night, I see them going over the walls. I see trouble within the city. I see ruin in its midst, oppression and violence in the marketplace. Everywhere he looks and it's day and night, he's seeing more and more reasons to be fearful, more and more things that produce anxiety. And it's exhausting. It is so exhausting to be on red alert day after day after day right? Zach Eswine said this. He said, we are prone to exaggerate fears. This makes it hard for us to find relief or assurance of safety. If things are calm, we look for what harm awaits us. Anybody relate to that? How about this? If things go wrong, we assume that the worst is yet to come. We imagine doom futures, and though none of these bad things have happened to us, we imagine uh, we we imagine have happened to us. We convert our suspicions into reality and torture ourselves with our imaginations. And we do that. Those of you who are anxious, we can possess a dark imagination. I know I do. You know, some of us are able to see evidences of doom everywhere, even though it's not there. Danger around every corner. You know, our our imaginations can spin these elaborate, very believable stories about how the worst is yet to come. One writer said that worry is a misuse of the imagination. Amen to that, right? You know, you have this beautiful imagination, this beautiful gift from God, and, and, and we seem to only be able to crank out dystopian novels that we think we're going to live in, right? Like, like, this is not the right use of the imagination. And it may be why some of you, the more artistic types, are more afflicted by this. Um, can you relate? Can you relate to David's anxiety attack here? I mean, you're not an ancient king. You're not about to be killed, but I bet you know what it's like to feel like a besieged city. Um, And if you don't, praise God and bless your neighbor. I mean, seriously, praise God and bless your neighbor. My wife's not like that. She's completely good, and that's great. And sometimes the Lord does that. He'll pair, you know, the more nervous type with the more chill type. It's a wonderful thing that he does, because if both of us were doing it, it would be a disaster, right? Like, I'm so worried. You should be, you know? Like, that would be horrible, you know? Like, it's worse than you think, you know? Like, I'd be dead already. So what do we do with our anxiety? The, the cool thing is, guys, if you look at the top of this psalm, it says that it's a, a maskal, And that word maskal is, we don't totally know what that word means, but it comes from the Hebrew verb to, to instruct. And so it turns out that this psalm is actually instructions to the anxious. It even has a command to the anxious in verse 22. It was the command they sang. And, um, and so imagine this. These ancient Hebrew people would sing this song of anxiety together. To express their fears, but they were also singing it to each other to counsel each other. Isn't that beautiful? I just love that. I just love that they would, they would sing this song to counsel the fearful among them. And I want to be a community like that. I want us to be a community like that. Community of people who are willing to sit with somebody that's anxious and not just tell them the truth, but maybe sing them the truth, right? And stand with them when they're afraid. And so this is a counseling song. Isn't that neat? It's a counseling song. And it's just one piece of the help that the Bible has about anxiety. I mean, learning to live without fear is a process. And I will tell you, like, uh, I feel much freer than I did years ago. The Lord does work through our fears. He does gradually. It's a part of discipleship, learning to do everything that Jesus has commanded. One of the things he's commanded us not to be afraid. It's something we can learn to do over time. This is just one piece of it. Um, Like I said, I feel freer, but I could be sucked back in it if I'm not vigilant. I could easily get sucked back into that situation. Um... The Bible's rich in resources for the fearful. I really like this book called Running Scared by Ed Welsh. It was like two bucks on Kindle the other day. It might still be. But Running Scared by Ed Welsh is really good. And what it'll do is it'll take you through the major passages on anxiety and um, and, and help you kind of dig into those. Where's the command in here, though? There's one command in this uh, psalm. Do you guys see where it is? It's verse 22. It's the one they sang. It says, Cast your burdens on the Lord. So you can imagine the the ancient Hebrew people, and they're singing, and they're singing to the fearful among them, they're singing, cast your burdens on the Lord. Isn't that cool? Cast your burdens on the Lord. And you see there's a promise here too, do you see it? And he will sustain you, and he will never permit the righteous to to be moved or to fall. Um, Let me ask you something before we start. Does that sound trite to you? Does it sound trite to you to say to an anxious person, cast your burdens on the Lord, and he will sustain you? And he will never let the righteous be moved. I know there's some cynical Christians that will say, oh, okay, you're just going to tell me to pray. Like I need something else. They act like this is something kind of a trite thing to say. But if you think this is trite, think about the person that's giving you this counsel. A man who's hunted for his life. Okay, this isn't a guy that's chilling somewhere on the beach and he says, hey, oh, brother, you know, just cast your cares on the Lord. No, this is a guy who has cast his cares on the Lord when being hunted for his life. If it wasn't tried to him, it shouldn't be tried to you. And when David does finally cast his burdens on the Lord, it's the turning point of the psalm. Look at verse 16. He lists all these problems and then what does he say? Verse 16, but I call to the Lord. You got to imagine that the forces of darkness at that moment were like, no, he's calling out to the Lord. You know, I'm convinced that they do that when you call out to the Lord. When you finally get to yourself to call out to the Lord, they say, no, 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 no. Ah, we pushed her too far. It would have been far better to just push her far enough where she's anxious and maybe inwardly focused and um, and and losing her joy. But now we've pushed her too far. Now we made her so desperate she prayed. And they're probably like, oh, we need to make a note of that and have better strategy next time, right? But that's, that's what, um, when, when we're really coming to anxiety, that's what we need to do is cast our burdens on the Lord. And what does it sound like to call out to the Lord? Guys, I think it's super helpful in here that we get to hear his prayers. I, I think we need to talk about this more as a community. When you say, well, I, I've been praying about that, I like to ask, like, tell me what the prayer sounds like. I want to hear what your prayer sounds like. Because we don't naturally know how to pray. We have to teach each other how to pray. And there's a wealth of prayers in Scripture. And I love this one here, guys. I love what it says. Sometimes when I'm anxious, I'll actually pray this exact section from 4 to 8. You know, when I'm spinning in anxiety, it gives me a template. Imagine this. Next time you're fearful, maybe it's tomorrow morning, you wake up and your heart's racing and you pray this. My heart is in anguish within me, Father. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling have come upon me. Horror overwhelms me. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I just want to escape from this. You know, can you imagine praying that? Imagine how helpful that is. It's super helpful, guys. It's been so helpful to me. It communicates my fear so well. Try it. Do it out loud if you can. Out loud, it's super powerful. Um, Now, before I talk about, you know, exactly how David casts his cares on the Lord, I think modern readers will have a little issue with how he does it here. Um, You guys might have noticed uh, what David asked for. He asked for God to kill his enemies, okay? And um, I think for some of you, when you're reading that, you're like, ooh, you know, like it was going so well. And then verse 9. He says in verse 9, destroy, O Lord, their divided tongues. In 15, he says, let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their hearts. That uh, death steal over them, it means um, have death take them by surprise, (laughs) is what it means there. When he talks about them going down to the grave or Sheol, he's talking about that, that, that Sheol or the grave would open up and swallow them. It's kind of reminiscent of, you remember, in Numbers 16, when Korah and the rebellion against Moses, and uh, they're all rebelling against him, and they're all lined up, and there's going to be a showdown, and, and, and the Lord says to Moses, Hey, Moses, um, back up a little bit. <laughs> and they back up a little bit, and it says the earth opened up, they fell in, and it closed up again. It's problem solved. Isn't that crazy? Like that's reminiscent of what he's saying. It's almost word for word. He may have been thinking of that at that time. This is what we call an imprecatory prayer. Um, There's some psalms that have so much of it, they're called imprecatory psalms. But they're basically, they're psalms that are calling down judgment on people for God to act. And I want you guys to hear a couple things about this before you judge David too quickly. First, he's praying these against people who are trying to kill him. Okay, this isn't against people that are like rivals in office politics, right? You know, they're fighting over the copier or something like that. No, it's not that kind of thing. They're wanting to kill him. They're wanting to overthrow him, to kill him, to kill his family. Remember, there's no, no peaceful transition of power. There's no King Emeritus that stays around for a while. No, you die. And also, he's calling out against God's enemies who won't repent. If you look in 19, it says, because they do not change and they do not fear God. And so he's calling out to God to save his life by killing his enemies. If you look in 23, it says, But you, O Lord, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. And so, guys, if you are a king, God's king, and you are going to be overthrown by violent people who want to kill you, I don't think this is a bad prayer to pray. I'm just going to go out there and just say that. I think you could totally pray this prayer. But, see, we aren't in that situation, guys. We aren't in a situation where we have enemies who say, take them out, Lord, right? Like, so when you're sitting, it sounds really strange, when you're sitting in a peaceful morning at Starbucks, and you get to verse 15, you know, let death steal them over, let them go down to Sheol alive, you're thinking to yourself, like, oh, so how do I apply this? I do I praise against my boss or my ex or the guy on the freeway? It's like, and so we're tempted to think like, "Oh, David, don't be such a savage. You know, you're supposed to forgive him and do something nice for him. That's what Jesus taught. You know, that's what we're tempted to think, guys. But if you were in this situation, I hope none of us ever are. Let's imagine ISIS is taking over your neighborhood. This would seem like a very thing, natural thing to pray. You know, it would be very natural to pray, Lord, take them out, even while you desire them to repent and you desire their salvation, and you would extend them some kindness if you were able to, but um, it would be a reasonable thing to pray. Um, but we live in a totally different context, right? We live in, And so our prayers of deliverance sound different. They should sound different. <laughs> if yours sound exactly like this, you know, you might be doing it wrong, okay? <laughs> right now. Um, So, but we can pray these imprecatory prayers against the forces of darkness, right? Somebody once asked me, like, you know, is it okay to hate the devil? Yes, you know, it is okay to hate the devil. He's totally hateable. Um, The forces of darkness is something you can pray against them. This is something you can pray against your fears. I've often inserted into the area where it's enemies, I've inserted things that I'm afraid of, you know? Um, Lord, swallow up and destroy my fears, right? And when you do, you're going to be trusting in the same God that David trusted in and for the same reasons. In 19, he gives the reason. God will give ear and humble them. And then listen to his reason. He who is enthroned from of old. Isn't that cool? Because he knows, King David knows, that there is a king, the Lord, who can never be dethroned by his enemies. Because I don't know what's going to happen to me, but there is a king. He's the king of the universe, the Lord, and he'll never be dethroned by his enemies. And he's a king that's in control of your future, and he's a king that will work all things for your good. And so that's who we cast our burdens on, on the Lord. Um, How do we practically do that? I think first thing, confess your fears. Um, Like I said, verses 4 through 8 are great for doing that. You know, Confess them very specifically, very clearly, and then cast your burdens on him specifically and thoroughly. Um, Remember how David talked about his fears as dropping on him, like the little rocks that keep dropping on him and they're piling up on him? When we cast our fears, our burdens on the Lord, we're handing back those burdens to him because they belong to him. They don't belong to us. We're not God. We're not meant to carry these. So we're like, hey, I've been carrying all this stuff. Can I just hand these to you? And he's like, yes, hand them to me. And so how do we do that? How do we do this kind of prayer of surrender of our burdens? One thing I'd recommend just posture-wise, maybe you're not a posture type person. That's fine. Um, But palms up. I think praying palms up is helpful because it's, a, it's an act of surrender. It's an act of handing over your burdens to the Lord. I think our body posture matters. Um, I've told you guys before that one of the ways I'll pray, when I'm really spinning anxiety, I think, okay, I don't get control of this. Like, pretty soon my body's going to revolt. It's not going to be pretty, right? And so I'll, I'll lay out flat on the ground, palms up, and just, you know, as a, as a way of surrender, just handing over every single burden to the Lord. And, and when we do that, we could pray like this, Father... I know you don't want me to be anxious. It's the most common command in the Bible. I agree with you. I don't want to be anxious. You don't want me to be anxious. Father, I hand over these fears to you. I want to hand over my fears about my family. Be real specific. Uh, My health. Um, Two things with the health. I mean, health can cause great anxiety, but also anxious people tend to be hypochondriacs. I mean, I know that for myself, that it's something that, you know, I always have something wrong with me that's not really wrong with me. And so handing over health, whether they're real or imagined, your work, your your church, concerns you have for your church, concerns you have for the burdens of other people. Like, as Christians, we bear the burdens of each other, right? As we pray for each other, we need to hand those to the Lord. Those aren't for us to carry alone. Uh, burdens, of fears about your country. I think a lot of people have those right now, handing those over. Finances, maybe there's a bill you can't pay, a house repair issue, uh, some, some, bill, some car problem, right? Or your future, or just fears about, well, things ever come together for me? Am I stuck this way? And then I'll often pray this, Father, give me your peace. Because you're united with Christ if you're a believer, and if you're united with Christ, he can actually give you his peace, you know, like a vine in the branches, he can give you his peace. So give me your peace, Lord. Because I'm positive the Lord is not worried about this. Whatever it is, he is not worried about this at all. He's got no worries, right? He's got no worries because he reigns, and he's already figured out how all these plot lines come together for his ultimate glory and my ultimate happiness. Like, he already worked it all out. The, the author of the story that's already written the whole story doesn't worry as it goes through, right? He sees how it's going to play out. And so I, I pray, Father, give me your peace, You're reigning on your throne. You've already worked all these things out. Um, You know how it's all going to resolve. And then I'll pray often, too. I'm leaving all these things in your hands. And when I try to pick them up again, because that's what we do, right? We pray. We hand all our burdens off to the Lord. And then we're like, oh, I forgot to pick that up. You know, like, no, 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 no. Or more ones drop on us. I pray, Lord, remind me. Show me. Because in the beginning, when you're fighting anxiety, you don't realize how many things you're carrying around, right? So God needs to show you that. So I pray, show me those things that I'm carrying around. Uh, and then repeat if necessary. <laughs> repeat as necessary, is what I should say. One of the things that's been most helpful for me in the battle against anxiety is that the Lord showed me that I need to repent regularly of anxious thoughts, okay? I didn't think I needed to repent of anxious thoughts. I mean, not the way that you realize, like, you know you need to repent of bitter thoughts. You know you need to repent of anger. You know you need to repent of lust. You know you need to repent of covetousness. They're, they're obviously foreign, but when you're an anxious person, those are not obviously foreign things, they become almost the background noise of your heart, the kind of the white noise, you know, that you, that you don't notice. And so um, once I started practicing, you know, repentance of anxious thoughts, I could spot them easier. I could see them more as foreign, that they didn't belong there. And so, and, and the cool thing is, guys, if you do that, if you cast your burdens on the Lord regularly, you could develop a reflex of the heart, fear comes, boom, prayer Fear comes, boom, prayer. Fear comes, cast them on the Lord. Wouldn't it be cool to have a reflex that was quick like that? That it was like, quick, give it to the Lord. Quick, give it to the Lord. That's what we're trying to develop. In the beginning, it's not like that. In the beginning, it's like you could go hours... In severe fear and not even realize that you're doing it. But as we do it more and more, we develop a heart reflex. I think it's important to have checkpoints through the day. If you look at verse 16, David says, "Um, But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. And then listen to his checkpoints. Evening, morning, and noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. Can you see how you could use that language about your fears? Many are arrayed against me. I've got all these things right? I think these checkpoints are really important. Uh, A checkpoint would be, so morning, when you first wake up, do I have any fears? Do I have anything I need to hand over? I will have a bunch of them. So drive to work, be a good time to do that. Um, Noon, so lunchtime, easy to remember, good time, check yourself, check for fears, um, hand those over to the Lord. It's basically like a checkpoint, like when you come into a new country and they say, hey, do you have anything to declare? And you're like, yes, I'd like to declare I'm freaking out, right? <laughs> like, let me show you how, right? we got to hand those things over. There's things we, they, they don't belong in the next section of the day, right? Treat it as a new country. Like, it, those fears can't come in. The um, writer Zach Eswine has four portions of the day. So he does morning when he wakes up. He has noon when he eats. He has evening, which is drive home. Or for those of you guys that are at home, it'd be that time right before dinner. And then he has night watches, which is a really common thing when you read the Psalms. He talks about meditating on the Lord in the night watches. Night watches are the time at night when you're up. So, whether it's as you're falling asleep, be a good time to check for any fears and hand those over. Or if you can't sleep, guys, when you can't sleep, that's the best prayer time ever. Because the two enemies of prayer are distraction and sleepiness. You, by definition, can't sleep, and no one's messing with you, right? Like, that's a perfect time to pray. Like, use that time. You must need to pray if you're up. Um, And he actually will look for three things. So at each of those checkpoints, he looks for attitudes, sinful attitudes that he needs to confess, cares, which is fears, and then uh, things to be thankful for. So those three things. So at each checkpoint, he does that. So it's act. It's attitudes, cares, thanksgiving. Look at verse 17. He says, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. Isn't that amazing? He hears your voice when you're complaining and moaning, like nobody wants to hear you when you're complaining and moaning, right? But the Lord hears your voice. He actually like moves in on that, right? He goes, "Oh, he's complaining. She's complaining. She's moaning about something, right?" Um, in Psalm fifty-six, eight, it says this. This is such a cool passage. You should underline this. He's speaking to the Lord and he says, "You keep my toss. You keep count of my tossings. You know, like you can't sleep, tossing back and forth." You put my tears in your bottle. He's like collecting your tears in a bottle. How insane is that? Isn't that amazing? He collects your tears in a bottle. And he says, are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. And then listen to this. This I know that God is for me. Isn't that awesome? This I know that God is for me. Guys, he is the king. He's your king. He is for you. He is a king that's for you, even though you've multiple times tried to dethrone him. Haven't you? Haven't you tried to dethrone this king? Guys, this psalm could be sung by another king, couldn't it? This psalm could be sung by a king that was, that was betrayed one night by a close friend. A king who is God's true king, who came not to destroy his enemies, but to save them. A king who was a descendant of David a thousand years later, who arrived in Jerusalem to volunteer to face the greatest of all terrors on your behalf. This could have been sung by that king on that night that he was betrayed, Right? He came to save us, guys, from the only thing we should really fear, which is the judgment that we deserve for our sins and our treason against him. Multiple times throughout our whole lives, we tried to overthrow him, right? He's king, we want to overthrow him, we want to overthrow him. He came, guys, to give his life, not to destroy his enemies, but to save them. Jesus died and rose again to make you righteous. Because I know when you guys read verse 22, it says you won't let the righteous fall, you're like, well, that's not me. Well, if you're trusting Christ, that is you. Because Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died with your sins, if you're trusting in him. And he puts on you, as a robe, his righteousness. You guys realize that? If you're a believer, you are the righteous. And it's because you're wearing a robe of his righteousness. Have you trusted in the Messiah for yourself? Have you, is he your only righteousness? Is he the only reason you would call yourself righteous? And do you, do you, do you walk confidently into his presence, knowing that you're righteous in Christ? There's no reason for you to leave this place without walking in that robe. You could have that today if you'll repent of your sin and trust in him and take him as your king and savior. So that's what Jesus came to do in Jerusalem on that day in April of 33 AD. And you know that mission that he came to do? It terrified him. Does that surprise you? When Jesus came to do this, he was terrified. You look in uh, John 12, he says, um, in John twelve twenty seven, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. You guys remember the last night before the cross? Jesus and his disciples rented that room, and they had the Passover meal. It was the last supper, but only Jesus seemed to have known that. And they entered that room and Jesus, God in the flesh, came and he washed their feet and they ate that Passover meal. And as they were eating the meal, he took some, some bread and he took some wine and he, and he told them that this bread was a symbol of his body that was going to be pierced. He knew it was going to happen the next day. And he took that wine and he said, this is a symbol of my blood that will pour from my wounds. Guys, he said that this was something that needed to be done to give them all the blessings of the new covenant, a perfect future in the kingdom. How terrifying would it have been for him to talk like that? Knowing that the crowds would be whipped up against him the next day. You think about how terrifying that is to give that kind of instruction, knowing about what's, what's about to happen to you? In, in uh, John 13, 21, it says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And he was speaking about Judas. Judas was the betraying friend of Psalm 55. Remember Psalm 55 said in verse 13, But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. You know, it's the the ultimate et Brute? You know, like you, my closest friend, would do this against me? Um, Look at verse 20. This totally speaks of Judas. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violates his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was within his heart. His words were softer than oil, but they were drawn swords. And then after they had the meal, they sang a song. They sing Psalm 55? I don't know. I don't know what they sang. It'd be a perfect song for them to sing at that point. And they walked out, him and his disciples, they walked to the Garden of Gethsemane, where they where Jesus knew that Judas was getting ready to ambush him with soldiers. He was walking right into the trap. It's very intentional. He's volunteering for this. The first century historian Josephus said that during Passover week, as much as like a quarter million uh, Passover lambs would be sacrificed. And as there was, can you imagine a quarter of a million sheep being killed all in one temple? What a mess, right? And that blood, that blood would pour out the back of the temple and it would come down through the the Kidron brook, a brook that kind of, you know, just went into the brook. And I bring that up because that night, that was the same brook that Jesus and his disciples had to cross they had crossed that brook full of blood on the way to Gethsemane. And under a full moon, and Passover is always a full moon, under a full moon, Jesus would have seen that blood, and it would have been a reminder of what was coming next. Imagine the terror. Matthew says that Jesus went to the place called Gethsemane, and there he said he was sorrowful and troubled, and he fell on his face and prayed and said, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And again a second and a third time he kept saying, "My father, if it is if it cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done." And eventually he rises and he tells his disciples, "See, the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners." And then listen to this, "Rise, let us go. See, my betrayer is at hand." Isn't that amazing. Amazing the courage that he has there. Let's do this. The the writer of Hebrews says about this time, he says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And you think, that's weird. He was heard? You know? He died, right? Jesus was heard? He did die, and he was heard. Because, you see, Jesus' enemies, their intention was to dethrone him as king. They wanted to use the cross as a way to dethrone Jesus, you see it in the charges against Pilate, The charges with Pilate. It was claiming to be king, right? It was treason. You see it with the way the soldiers mocked him. They put purple on him and a crown of thorns and a scepter, and they bowed down. They're mocking him as king, right? It's a coup, right? It's a rebellion against the king of the universe. And then they put a plaque over him that mocked him, saying king of the Jews. This, guys, was a coup against the, against the true king. They tried to dethrone Jesus by crucifixion. But you know what they did? They accidentally enthroned him by doing this. Jesus said that would happen. In Luke 12, he said, when I'm lifted up to the earth, and he was talking about the cross, he said, I will draw all people to myself. He knew that that was his way of victory. He knew that was his way of defeating darkness and sin and death and all those things. They wanted to dethrone him, but they ended up enthroning him by mistake. And that's what kept him going. I mean, he knew this. He knew that his father would vindicate him. He knew that his father would sustain him and never let him fall. And so God works this like shocking reversal, right? He works this shocking reversal for Jesus in enthroning him through the cross. And guys, he'll work a shocking reversal for you too. He will sustain you. He will never allow you to fall in a way that doesn't lead to ultimate glory and joy for you. You realize that? There's no way that he will let you fall in a way that doesn't lead to ultimate, ultimately to glory and joy. The Father did this through the cross. He'll do it for you. He may do it through very severe afflictions. Like that's how He does it sometimes. But He will sustain you. He will never let you fall. It will be a real sustaining and a real not falling. Um, some of you know, uh, knew my cousin Emily. She died just a couple years ago and it was from a, like a rare form of adrenal cancer. And um, and she, she was only in her 30s. And I can tell you through the whole battle with cancer, she did what this verse says. She she cast her burdens on the Lord, and I'll tell you what, the Lord did sustain her, and the Lord never let her fall. If you watched her life, and you watched what she went through, and you watched how she took it, and how she glorified God through it, and was a blessing to so many people, the Lord sustained her and never let her fall. And you know, the Lord is working a shocking reversal for her. He's planning a shocking reversal for her that's going to make all the things she suffered totally worth it. And the resurrection, and the kingdom, and the world to follow that reversal is going to be so worth it. None of us will look back on the pains of this life and feel like we were cheated at all. We'll feel like it was all worth it. Guys, no matter what your troubles, the Lord reigns as king, and he will make all those things you fear, he'll make them serve you for your ultimate good. They have to. (laughs) He's king. They have to do what he says. Um, The 18th century poet and hymn writer and abolitionist William Cooper, um, he was a a guy who, I love his life. It was brutal, (laughs) beautiful life. But he suffered intensely from anxiety. He was a little bit of a hermit, never really kind of left his, where he lived and stuff. Um, crippling anxiety, depression, multiple times he attempted to take his life. And he wrote this in the song, um, in one of his songs, he said this. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. And that's not a trite saying. That's from a guy that was suffered greatly. And he said, God will make all these things work for your good. Guys, God is on the throne. He controls your future. He will sustain you. He will never let you fall. I think that's the best hope against fear. I, get, I think that's the best hope against anxiety. I don't think to tell you that like, oh, everything will be fine. Don't worry about it is the best solution. I think the best solution is, is that your God is on the throne. He will sustain you. He will never let you fall. And I just want to ask you this in conclusion. Can you put your fears, and your burdens in his crucified hands and trust him for a surprising reversal, right? Can you do that? When you have fear, can you put those fears in his crucified hands and trust him that he's gonna do something shocking to reverse it? He will, he'll do it. I wanna ask you this morning, can you stop trusting in your own imagination to predict your future and trust in the one that says, behold, I'm making all things new? Because that's what it's about, right? It's about do I trust my imagination and the fears that it's producing or do I trust the one that says, behold, I make all things new? I love how this psalm ends. It ends emphatic and defiant. Even in this anxious storm and it's swirling around and he's being beat all around and he grabs on to that like, one branch on the side of the hill and he's like this. He has this one thing that he ends on and it's this. But I will trust you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can put all our fears in your 100% sovereign, kingly, ruling the world hands, and that those hands are crucified hands. Jesus, we thank you for those crucified hands. Father, we thank you for giving your son to do this, Lord. We know that there's a great Sacrifice for you to hand your son over to this. And we thank you, Jesus, for taking that assignment. That terrifying assignment. How sweet it is to put all our burdens in the hands of blood for us. Father, I pray for all those that are here this morning, Lord. If they don't know you, if if they don't have that kind of security, Lord, I pray that they would turn from their sin and trust in you today that they would start enjoying that kind of security that they can have of knowing you make all things new for them. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.